five seconds. He's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Wilder with yes, a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Here's Kupak. Gives off to Amos. He's good. 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 He's Jordan back to kick, it's blocked again, picked up, it'll be a touchdown Carolina for Bracey Walker. He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season, it's 14 to 13. Mr. Jordan meet Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26, heading to the far side, Gio at the 35, Gio, he's at the 50, no he's not, yes he is, Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. Hey guys, and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pegnata with you guys as always. And we got a fun little discussion topic that we're going to be talking about tonight. Just going to be a little short podcast where we'll go and look at the Post and Courier's Gene Sapkoff, who rated the SEC and ACC head coaches, and uh, we'll discuss where he listed Mac Brown. We'll yell at him a little bit for being a moron, and then we'll circle back around and uh, talk a little bit about where I have Mac Brown ranked. And uh, to do that, we'll welcome in Josh Marlowe, who's going to be along with us. Um, the co-host, as always, he's going to be here to discuss uh, what's going on. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you saw this uh he, he uh, Mr. Sapkoff, he was a guy that uh, was invited on Paul Feinbaum's show the other day, and I think this was the reason why Feinbaum wanted to talk to him about this. Um, Feinbaum's been a really big supporter of the Mac Brown hire, um, but, you know, Sapkoff not really as supportive. He has Mac Brown 23rd out of the 28 coaches in the ACC and SEC. So... When you saw this, I mean, what was your initial reaction? This is a college football Hall of Fame head coach that has also won a national championship, only one of four to currently have a national championship in his possession. Um, I mean, 23rd, that's that's a bit low, no? You would expect this from an NC State fan, (laughs) not a professional writer covering a very popular sport in the South. Um, And then when you read off the names that he was below, it just got even worse by the passing minute. He's clearly, even without not having coached in six years, better than a handful of those coaches that he was listed below. Well, That's not me being biased. It's just, look what he's accomplished. As a college football head coach, he won a national championship, um, coached in two national title games, um, built a, 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 a football, not, not necessarily a power at Carolina, but a, a team to be reckoned with in Carolina and for in, the, in the 90s, 
and then did stuff at Texas that no one had done at Texas, where he was just consistently winning 10 games. And even for Texas at the time when he was doing it for what, six or seven straight years was unprecedented. Um, so to be listed 23rd out of 28, like, I know he didn't end well at Texas, but anywhere else what he was doing at Texas would be okay. Like, we've mentioned on here before, 8-5 and five at Carolina is not bad. Right. 8-5 and five at Texas gets you fired here. We might build a statue for you. Right. I mean, we talked about, we talked about this last night, you know, eight and five. I mean, if he could get Carolina to be back to being a consistently eight and five, seven and six team, even, I don't think that people would be completely disappointed in his second stint there because at, at the least it would make the job better. But let's focus on, you know, this list and just, I mean, you listed off some of the accomplishments, won a national championship, one of only four coaches. Now, the, the the weird thing is is that all four coaches are in these two conferences. Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, and Mac Brown. Because Urban Meyer has, you know, is retired right now. That would have been the other guy that would have, you know, been in the group. But I mean, for you know, and, you, and less miles than Kansas. So that is oh yeah, that is right. That's right. So Les came back. I thought it was five. That's right. So the, so it is five. So that's right. So five current active coaches, four of them in the ACC or SEC, the, the top two conferences in America. Can we agree on that? That's the reason why this list was made. I mean, if, if you look at the conferences, I would argue the Big Ten because of how stacked the East is, is probably top to bottom. Because the ACC wasn't as good as it was supposed to be last year. I'd give you the Big Ten right now, going into the fall. Wouldn't surprise me if the ACC, top to bottom, is as, is as deep as the SEC is this year. But right now, no, I, I would I would go Big Ten just because look at what the East produced last year. He had four teams in the top 20 most of the year. Also look at what the West produced, though. Very similar to the ACC Coastal with teams that really didn't have any business being Northwestern wasn't bad though. I mean, Wisconsin, that's one. That's one team that Wisconsin out. just caught a, a couple bad breaks and a, but it, that was expected with the way they played. But let's get back to the topic of right, this of course, list. yeah. But that's that's uh, the reason I was pointing that out is because they were comparing the SEC and, and ACC. And when you look at Mac Brown, let's let's focus on him really quickly. Again, I mean, two hundred two hundred forty four career wins. Uh, is is just I mean that's a ridiculous number. He's he's climbed that high already, and you got to think now he's coming back to keep achieving more and continue. He'll he'll probably reach, hopefully this year. Many would expect him to reach that 250 win mark, which is a very rare mark for people to reach. Right now he's seventh all time in wins. He reaches that mark, he would be one of only six to achieve. 250 career wins. We mentioned the national championships, also appeared in another national championship in 2009, and most people will remember he he almost found a way to come back with a backup quarterback in Garrett Gilbert and beat Nick Saban. And, you know, I I mean, just the, the countless number of things. I mean, Mac Brown win percentage right now in his career uh, at, at, at 670 right now, which would be between the two conferences, sixth 
you got to look at some of the guys that are ahead of him. Really, the only one that I guess you would point out would be Scott Satterfield, who did, you know, his record is a little bit different. I guess you got to look at it differently than everybody else's because Satterfield coached at Appalachian State, which was a mid-major program as opposed to, um, you know, a, a power five job now at Louisville. Be interesting to see whether or not he can keep that type of success up. Everybody else is, is relatively legit. That's ahead of them. Um, so I, I mean, when you, but you look at him sixth overall in winning percentage, I mean, that, that I think is one of the better ways to compare how successful guys are, because if you just look at wins, of course, Mac has coached for 31 years. Some of these other guys, I mean, look at Manny Diaz. He's never been a head coach at any level of football before. So the comparisons there might be a little bit unfair, but I think, you know, Mac Brown's own accomplishments speak for themselves. And now, I mean, let's look at some of the guys that are ahead of him. The ones that I take big issue with. Manny Diaz, like I mentioned, never coached a game in his entire career. He's all, I mean, he, he was actually a back Brown disciple actually was the defensive coordinator under him for the national championship game back in 2005. First time head coach. He was scheduled to go to temple. Of course, everybody knows what happened. He walked away, went to Miami instead because that was their top guy after Mark Richt unexpectedly retired. And now, uh, you know, they, they, he's, being looked at as a guy that many people think is the fix to the solution, but he's never coached a single game, and he is ahead of Mac Brown. Um, one of my other favorites, Derek Mason from Vanderbilt, never even had a winning season at Vanderbilt since becoming a head coach. Mac Brown never had a losing season at Texas. Uh, how how would Derek Mason be ahead of him? That, to me, just doesn't make any sense there. Um, some of the other ones, Barry Odom from Missouri. Look, got them back on track last year, but still a 500 career coach. Nothing spectacular. Steve Adazio, who's on the hot seat at Boston College, ranked ahead of him. Another guy that really hasn't been all that successful at his stop. Um, and then, so I mean, just... A couple of the guys that are ranked even higher. Will Muschamp at South Carolina ranked ahead of him. Um, another one of his disciples. Muschamp, I think, has done a pretty solid job at South Carolina. But wasn't his finish at Florida somewhat similar to what we saw from Mac Brown's finish at Texas? Where, I mean, the, his final year was... was not good was was even worse than anything that we saw from Mac Brown. But I mean, in your mind, did it not resemble at least somewhat what we saw from Mac Brown's tenure at Texas towards the end of his Florida tenure? Well, you remember he had the one year where they make the Orange Bowl. They think Florida's back. They've arrived. They're going to compete to win the SEC, which of course means you're going to compete to win a national championship. And it just all spiraled out of control there to where you had your own guy blocking each other while you're losing at home to... Georgia Southern. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, Muschamp, who I think is a really good fit for South Carolina. Right. But has had really one quality year as a head coach at Florida. And that was just because everything fell their way. Manny Diaz, guy like you said, he's been a head coach for months. 
That's it. Right. He's he, he's still learning how to run a program. Oh, and, and by and, the way, you're gifted one of the most historic programs in the country with unlimited funds and money. Can we focus on Diaz just for a quick second here? Who of the two has been better on the recruiting trail since arriving to their destination? Oh, Matt well? Brown is Matt killing, Brown. Already. killing him in the recruiting Already. game. So you got – that makes no sense. Um, How about Derek Mason? I, I, I like what, – what – what explanation is there? Their only and look, explanation. I like Derek Mason. I've been a support. You know that. You've wanted him fired at Vanderbilt for a couple years now. I've said stick with the guy. I like the fact that he's a defense first guy. But, I, I mean, what – how do you rank him ahead of Mac Brown? You, you don't if you're smart. Um and, and look, he's done as I mean, not as good as James Franklin did there at at Vandy. That was a tough ask, though. Um, but also look at how bad the SEC East was when James Franklin was there. It's, Georgia wasn't. Yeah. Georgia wasn't Georgia. Florida was. You know, Muschamp was there. Tennessee is still sucked. I mean, South Carolina was only. I mean, was winning eleven games, three trees, but even not even making the SEC championship game. That tells you how bad that division was when Franklin was winning nine games there. So Mason's done a really good job. It's Vanderbilt. It's hard to win there at any sport because of the academic requirements to get into that university. But to rank him in front of a guy who's won 244 games in a national championship and has coached a Heisman Trophy winner, you should be fired. Uh, yeah, I, I, I also want to go through this stretch. That he has right here. And then after that, we'll, we'll turn and, and look at how I I ranked him and discuss that just a little bit. And and maybe, you know, go through where, where you would possibly rank him just, you know, off the cuff. Seven, n- number seven on his list, after a pretty solid start. He's got Dabo Sweeney first, Nick Saban second, Dan Mullen third, which that that's a whole nother issue. Kirby Smart fourth. Jimbo Fisher fifth and Gus Malzahn sixth, seventh through ninth. Dave Clawson at seventh, which I don't think should be ranked ahead of Mac Brown. Dave Doran in eighth and Pat Narduzzi in ninth. Okay, Dave uh, uh, Dave Doran is probably the best of the group. Now his career record will be helped by his time at Northern Illinois. He's done some solid things at State, but still has not had a 10-win season there. They haven't had one in program history. They have not won double-digit games ever in program history. So I understand that Dave Dorn has done some good things, but he's also had ridiculous amounts of talent that have gone in the NFL draft and hasn't done much with it. So, I, I mean, I, I'm not seeing where you see him as a top 10 guy. Pat Narduzzi, 28 and 23 in his career at Pittsburgh. But we were discussing this last night. The guy who the could phone. not beat Larry Fedora. Couldn't beat Larry, ever. Never never <clears throat> beat him. And also, what was, what, what was his billing when he was originally brought in at Pittsburgh? Those defenses at Michigan State were as good as any defense in college football. I know it's a different conference, but you're you're having to lean on your offense, which you're running jet sweeps. Because of- remember, remember back to back years when they had the worst passing defense in the ACC, and 
I believe in 2016, it was the worst passing defense in the entire country. He's not doing what he was brought in to do. I understand that they made an ACC championship game this past year. That team finished 7-7 seven and seven overall. They were not a good football team last year. They were okay. They were middle of the road. They were mediocre. For you to put him over Mac Brown, who is as accomplished as he is, and, I mean, you got Pat Narduzzi, who's five games over 500, with talent on his offense. I mean, yeah, he's never really had great quarterbacks, but... He's had some of the better running games, some of the better running backs, that is, in the country. I mean, I don't really understand how you look at him as a success. I don't know if you look at him as a failure, but not as a success. So right there pretty much puts him behind our our man, Mac Brown. And then Dave Clawson, I mean, come on, really? Like, I understand, okay, now this is three straight years that they have gone to bowl games, that they've won seven games. He's done a pretty good job at Wake Forest. But to be really honest with you, is it even comparable to what Mac Brown did in his time at Texas or at North Carolina? No, and, and I'm a I'm a – you know, you're a Mason guy. I like Dave Clawson. I think he's done I also like Dave Clawson. With that program, considering where it was where he got the job. Um, and Wake Forest is a really hard place to win at, private school, so there's just restraints right. to get in there. But to say he's better than a Hall of Famer, I know Mac hasn't coached in six years. But to still say what he's doing is a lot better than what... What Mac's done in recruiting in the three weeks since he got the job to that first signing day... Is a hell of a lot more impressive than what half these coaches have done in their four to five, six years coaching and running a program. If we're just going to be brutally honest here. Right. I understand that you still have to see the results on the field, but I, I just, I don't get why people want to repeatedly look back at the late Texas tenure and say that they were, I mean, the way that they make it sound was that that team was winning two or three games a year like we saw with the Larry Fedora era because they make it seem so bad when he was still winning eight games, nine games, nine and four. Oh, that's a terrible year. At the time, okay, you could argue that. I I get that. I really do. And I I think that he should be somewhat penalized. But to put him at 23rd out of the 28 coaches behind guys that – probably won't last until at you know that at the end of this season Derek Mason Steve Adazio both of those guys could definitely lose their jobs at the end of the season a guy that's never coached at all in his entire career has always been a coordinator in Manny Diaz has him behind him it's just I mean it's just blowing my mind I, I don't understand I mean did did this guy just completely forget about everything that Mac Brown did in, in his time beforehand? I mean, I'm going to be real honest. Uh, Sapkoff is an old guy. That doesn't make any sense. So let's look at the list that I have. And we'll start out. I'll just go top to bottom till I reach Mac Brown. Number one, Nick Saban. Number two, Dabo Sweeney. Number three, Kirby Smart. Number four, Jimbo Fisher. 
Number five, Gus Malzahn. Number six, Mac Brown. Do you have any issue with any of the guys that I've put ahead of Mac Brown? Ahead of him, no. I'd have it reordered. Okay, um, that's fair. I would throw Dan Mullen in front of him. Really? Because, I have Mullen at seven. Because what Mullen did at Mississippi State. Okay, but Dan Mullen never reached an SEC title game. He's never even played in an SEC title game. That's the thing. Now, I understand. Mississippi State ranked number one in the country. I understand that. Now, granted, granted, let's be honest, had a a once-in-a-generation talent at the quarterback position. Dakota Rang Prescott is just setting up a legendary NFL career with the Dallas Cowboys. But I think what he did there... Good God. And what he looks like he's going to do at Florida with a roster that Jim McElwain just <laughs> screwed. I don't know how to say it any more nicely. Central Michigan's Jim McElwain, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I would put Dan Mullen in front of Mac Brown. Okay, the argument that I have... And I'd have him against front of, ahead of Kirby... Just because we've seen Kirby Smart be really good for two years. Okay, Kirby has made a national championship game right off the cuff. It's been two years. Dan Mullen. So you actually think that Dan Mullen has has been more impressive than Kirby Smart? Over his career as a head coach? Yes. Does Kirby Smart go to Mississippi State and have them ranked number one in the country? Uh, I think he definitely does. I don't. He's a better recruiter than Dan Mullen is, hands down. Not even close. Ooh, give, Not give, even close. Give, give Dan Mullen time. The problem that I have with Dan Mullen, and the reason that I have Mac ranked ahead of him, because we're going to focus on that part of it, is you look at the struggles that Dan Mullen has had against top 25 teams. I, I don't know the record right offhand, but it's it's not it is not good. Again, it is not good at all. Again, look at where he was before he got to Gainesville. Still. The fact you that he was them. playing in meaningful games at Mississippi State was that's he deserves a statue. They should rename the stadium. They should rename the city. That's how impressive what he did there was. But I don't think it's more impressive than Mac what what Mac Brown did over his time turning Carolina into a potential It's harder to win at Mississippi contender. State than it is in, in, in North Carolina. Ooh, I don't know about that. Because you're in the SEC West, you're in the ACC Coastal. But Dan Mullen is the best coach in college football without a national championship. Oh my gosh! Wow. As a head coach, that is that is look a at very what, I mean, bold I mean, look statement. what he did. Look what he did with Tim Tebow, a guy who, if we're being honest, outside of throwing the ball, best thirty yards was not a was not a quarterback. I mean, I, I get that, but I mean, if we're looking at, at, at head coach comparisons here, I mean, it's just, to me, Mac Brown has the better track record. He's I just have him behind because he hasn't coached in six years, whereas Dan Mullen I mean, it's, it's, was building Mississippi fair. State. It is fair. Look That's what he did that Florida team. No one thought he'd win nine games year one at Florida. I mean, I, I just... Yeah, but I, and, I and, caution. And, and now they're. I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't agree with you with with Kirby. It's, That's it's, now. it's yeah. set up now for the next. What are, What are we going to say? Probably the next decade that the Georgia Florida game is going to determine who plays Alabama to go in the NCAA championship game. 
that's kind of what it looks like those two horses are going to. So, you know, didn't didn't Georgia win the game this year? Uh, yes. So you know, that's just you know, that's 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 probably going to be the best rivalry in college football for the next decade. Yeah, and it's, and, it's and I just think there. you know Mullen was was the right hire when they fired Michael Lane, which was long overdue. Oh, uh, I believe it was the right hire. So, I, I I am a Dan Mullen guy. Yeah, I so really like I. Dan Mullen. But I, I know, don't. I I just there are some concerns with him. The recruiting mindset. Yes, it worked at Mississippi State. That mindset is not going to work at Florida. But it's a You've different mindset. Recruit it's a different mindset. Extremely high because he's at Florida. So now you don't have to. You're going to get the better talent. And here's the thing: he developed lesser talent in Mississippi State. What do you think he's going to do with the elite talent? Here, when let's look at where Mississippi State is in five years right now, when they fired Jim Morehead. I mean, there were people that thought that. There was they would potentially be better last year and than that's any. Moronic. Um, I mean, I think Moorhead is a good good head coach. So that's why I I'm a you know I would put Dan Mullen in front of I I probably when I first heard him when you said he, that guy had him third I was like whoa I don't know if I have him three because Jimbo won a national championship and I think Jimbo's going to do a lot of really good things at A and M. Malzahn's done a lot of really good things at Auburn, but Auburn has these expectations that are unrealistic. And the fact that what he's doing there isn't good enough is kind of what Mac Brown was at Texas when they fired him or when they just mutually parted ways. Mm-hmm. No, he's winning 10 games every other year, going to SC Championship games every three years. That's good enough for you. Um, and then who else? What was the other coach? Kirby. Yeah, Kirby's like, okay. Probably right now, outside of Dabo and Saban, the best recruiter in, in, in college football, he's built a mirror program of Alabama and the SEC East. So th- those all make sense. Okay. Now, I want to discuss, and, and then and, and then we'll wrap this up, Mac and, and Gus, because that was the one that I kind of went back and forth on a little bit. Because their their resumes are kind of kind of similar. If you just look at you know winning percentage, you look at one national championship win, another national championship appearance. I, I think that Gus, because Mac took the time off, that's the reason that I have him ahead of him. But I think it's really close just because, I mean, you got to think, this is a guy that has been on and off between being fired and, you know, being, getting, receiving a lifetime contract. It seems just because he's up and down, he's all over the place at Auburn. So, I mean, when you look at him and Mac, are you, I, I mean, Gus, do, do you have Gus ahead of Mac or do you, w- would you put, Mac ahead of him just because of everything that Mac has accomplished. It's hard because Gus has done a lot of good things since Mac Brown got out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beat Alabama um, to make an SEC championship game, won an SEC champion, or no, they lost SEC championship game to, to Georgia. But it's also, like you said, it's the Jekyll and Hyde because one year they're winning 10 11 games, next year they're barely winning eight. Right. Or. <laughs> Less than that sometimes. Oh, so, yeah. I would probably, because there's not been the consistent flat 9, 10, 11 wins, it's like, okay, 11, but then it's 7, then it's 10, but then it's 8. 
I would probably give Mac because Mac was always just okay. Once the 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 the, the streak of consecutive double digit wins ended, they were still winning eight or nine in Texas. That right. ultimately just wasn't good enough. So right. I I'd probably slate him in front of him. Um, because it's like you said, we're entering another year where Gus Malzahn is his job's on the line. Well, let, let's be really honest. I think his job's on the line every every year now. Even heading into last year, there were people that said his job's still probably yeah. on the line. So I would <laughs> I, I'd probably go Saban, Dabo, Fisher, Mullen, Smart, Brown, Malzahn. Okay, so you would okay, so you would have you would actually have Mac Brown at the same spot that I have him. Yeah. And six, it would just I was, be... I was okay with where you Right, right, Mac, right. I just had an issue where you had other coaches. Okay. Well, that's fair. And look, this is it's this time of year. Yeah. So we're going to be getting into this a ton. There's so many things that are going on around Carolina football that we're going to have to update. I wanted to mention this really quickly before we get off. We I put out the polls for the three biggest position group battles that we'll see come fall camp. I wanted to update you guys on the results. I wanted your reaction on these two. Uh, Sam Howell in a landslide to win the quarterback battle. That kind of shocked me a little bit because I feel like the quarterback battle is going to be extremely close. Like, does this not feel like another one that's going to extend into the regular season, barring someone really just having a fantastic ball? I think Mac has seen enough college football to understand that it's really hard to win with two quarterbacks. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, is could this carry over into that first game against South Carolina? Do you think that they could? That more than likely, I would say they'd have it down to two. I but I think when when we go to Charlotte, barring an injury, we have our we have our quarterback. Okay. Uh, cor- the number two cornerback position closer than a lot of people would probably think. That one went to Greg Ross, but it was 56% for Greg Ross, 44% for Trey Shaw. No one voted other, which I was kind of shocked. I thought somebody would maybe throw another name in there. Um, Greg Ross had reportedly, according to a lot of people, really good spring, played good in the spring game. Trey Shaw is a guy that we heard a lot about when he was originally on campus as an early enrollee. His true freshman year in 2016, and we just haven't really heard a lot from him since. So, you know, at that position, I mean, Greg Ross, probably your guy right now, just because of everything that's taken place there with right. Sales leaving, Cotman leaving. That's, I mean, it's, it it that's that's probably where they're gonna go, and in, in your mind as well, right? Yeah, yeah, that 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 makes the most sense. And then right guard was another one that was interesting. Joshua Zudu started the spring game at right guard. The scrimmage a week before, he was also the starter at right guard, ahead of William Barnes, who was originally the guy that began spring camp at that starting right guard position. Now, again, we heard before spring camp, oh, you know, Max said, well, we're not going to have – First team, second team, third team. That's not true. That's just how it always works out. You're always going to have your first team, second team, and third team. It's just going to figure itself out as it goes along. 
Izudu was the guy that sort of assumed that position. He had a really good spring game at right guard. But William Barnes was the overwhelming favorite for the fan base to take over that right guard spot that is up for grabs. So, I mean, what do you what do you think? Do you think that Barnes finally capitalizes on the talent? I mean, again, finally he just came in last year, but I feel like a lot of people sort of have that feeling that this was a guy that they were telling us could play last year significant snaps. Ended up redshirting. Now this year, he's slated behind a guy in Zudu who was in the same recruiting class and wasn't as highly touted. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me. And I think, you know, there's something we've talked about as we've transitioned back into the Mac Brown era. I think you're going to see better offensive line play next year because your offensive line coach isn't trying to dial up a game plan for Saturdays. Right. I don't think people understood that the once Cap got that role – the offensive line play was a really big part of the 2015 team success mm-hmm. and what the, the 2016 team did early in the year. And then it just slowly deteriorated because he's having to multi, you know, juggle coaching your offensive line but also figuring out a game plan on Saturdays. That took a, That's going to take a, a really big um, hit on your team. Um, I know when we made the hire with the line coach, there wasn't the – the excitement that there was with, you know, maybe a Dre Bly for the defensive backs or Brewster for tight ends and really just to recruit the heck out of the state. But a, a good enough coach under Mac Brown's going to improve himself as a coach will make these kids better. So it wouldn't shock me if Barnes, you know, capitalizes on his talent. But also you got to give credit to the Zundu kid. Kid's just working his tail off. Yeah. And for an offensive lineman that just, you know, that loves the kind of – I swear like an offensive lineman that's just they, – they grind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that those are the linemen that you want, especially if we want to be a run-first football team. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think that we're definitely going to be pass-first, but I— Well, you we understand right. that the running game is going to be just you, as big as the pass. If you look at the two years that Longo was the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss— the year that he had Jordan Wilkins, who you know is now in the NFL with the Indianapolis Colts, he ran for over a thousand yards. That was the year that the offense really flowed the best. The yards weren't as gaudy as his second year, but the problem for Ole Miss last year was they weren't able to score inside the red zone. Right, had to kick a lot of field goals. Carolina doesn't want to do that. One, because, well, no one wants to kick field goals when you can score touchdowns. And two, we don't really know what we have at the kicker position just yet. Yeah, Noah Ruggles has, you know, had a good spring game, but he had a portion of the spring where he really struggled. Mac Brown admitted that and said there was a time where they were very uncertain at the kicking position as to who they were going to go with. Now, he reassumed that position and has instilled a little bit of confidence in the staff that he can get the job done. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that if if you're the, I mean, if, if you're Stacey Searles, you want to make sure that this team can run the football well. The best way to do that is to put the best guys out there that are going to give you a shot to win. And I think I, I think Azudu might be that guy there. 
I mean, he, I'm tell, he was one of those guys, and it's hard to stick out as an offensive lineman in a spring game because you're playing against guys that, let's be real honest, when you get to some of these depth guys, some of these walk-on guys, I mean, it's it's going to be easy for you to push these guys around. But I thought, you know, he, he it was early in the game. He did a really good job of clearing the path for Javante Williams' first touchdown and then did it again later on for the second Javante Williams long run. So, I, I you know, it's going to be interesting, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready for it. I know, you know, we're we're getting psyched up because August 31st is it's still a little bit of time away, but here in Charlotte, they had the press conference uh, for the Charlotte Sports Media the other day. So, um, it's it's closing in slowly but surely. It's, uh, it, it's, it's going to be here. So, um, we want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the podcast. Um, you know, as always, you guys can subscribe to the podcast, Spreaker, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn.com, TuneIn app. Uh, you got Radio.com. Uh, there, there's plenty of places that you can find it. Anywhere that you find podcasts, you can find the Yield Up Blog podcast. The other place that you can find it is on the website, www.heeltuffblog.com. You can subscribe to our newsletter by scrolling down to the bottom and hitting uh, typing in your email and hitting subscribe. You can also check out all of the different blog articles. We have the weekly storylines uh, article that was just released today. We're going to start bringing that back. Got a special article that we're writing that's going to be coming out pretty soon um, that will sort of dive deeper into the quarterback battle, try to get you guys a little more informed on these guys and, and as to, uh, you know, sort of allow you to form your own opinion as to who you think is going to win the starting job. And of course, there's also some other great stuff on there. One of the other articles that got a lot of run, if you guys want to check that out, Tavian Feaster, uh, could he end up at Carolina? That was one that a lot of people really got into. So I want to thank Josh once again for joining me. Thank you guys for listening once again. And as always, go Tar Heels. (laughs) 